If we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. Let's not let this building cry out. Let's let his praises roll off our lips. And let's praise him for how great and how awesome the Lord Jesus Christ is. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you, Lord. We will not let the rocks cry out, but we will praise you with all of our hearts, with all of our lips, with all of our lungs. We will exalt you, Lord Jesus, and praise you because you're an awesome God. And we're going to see in your word this morning that you speak and creation obeys. Lord, from one end of the universe to the other, it obeys your voice, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we love you and we praise you and we magnify you, God. You're worthy to be praised. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all pray. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. You may have a seat. So this morning, I will be teaching Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. But to get your minds oriented in the right direction, I want to start off by reading Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. So please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27, so you see where we're going this morning. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Scripture says, When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this? that even the winds and the seas obey him. Lord, thank you for your word as we study it now, Lord. Open our hearts. Let the word of God be living and active and cut deep into our souls. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. Question for you this morning. Does God ever use the natural world around us or your or circumstances in life to get your attention and bring people to faith? Absolutely. Okay. I agree. I agree. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Has something, ever, um, has something ever big ever happened in your life and you thought to yourself, man, God is really trying to get my attention. Come on, give me a show of hands. Have you ever thought that? Like, whoa. And you think, man, there, there's no other reason this could have happened in my life, something in the natural realm, circumstances, then, man, God is really trying to get my attention. You know, God works that way. Psalms chapter 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This whole entire universe belongs to him. Everybody take a deep breath. That breath that you just breathed, that's God's air. Okay? It's his world and we're living in it. And God is constantly trying to get our attention. God is constantly trying to get our attention to bring us to him. To trust in him to love him, to obey him, to live for him. That's why the title of my message this morning is this, Jesus, Lord of creation. 
That's what I want you to go home with today is understanding that Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Son of God, who died on that cross, rose from the grave, born of a virgin, lived a sinless, perfect life, did all those wonderful miracles, he is actually the Lord of creation. He created everything. So he's using everything in this world to get your attention, okay? But what we have to do is our eyes have to be open. Our spiritual eyes have to be open to see how he is operating in our lives and what he's doing. So let's take a look at it. Um, Verse by verse, through Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 27, with the theme being, Jesus is Lord of creation. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Now we know in the latter half of Matthew chapter 8, he is going to arrive on the shore and meet the Gadarenes, the two demon-possessed men. If you go look at a map of the Sea of Galilee, you'll see that that is actually in the southeast corner of the Sea of Galilee, and Capernaum is kind of in the north, northwest, northwestern corner of the Sea of Galilee. So they're actually going to traverse the Sea of Galilee right down the middle. So they're going deep. They're going deep in, across the Sea of Galilee as they're heading across. Verse 19 says, uh, after Jesus saw a crowd, they gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Verse 19, then the scribes came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. This is a common phrase that you're going to see throughout the gospel of Matthew is, I will follow you. I will follow you. Jesus will encourage people to follow him. You see, Christianity is more than just a mental assent to truth. It's more than you just saying in your minds that Jesus is Lord and that he is God. It's about your life, the way you live this life, following what you believe. So when we say follow Jesus, we're not only saying for you to believe in him with all your heart and with all your mind, but we're saying to follow him means that you will pattern your life after the Gospels. You will pattern your life in following your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we see that invitation all throughout Scripture. So this scribe comes to him and says, teacher, I will follow you. I don't think this scribe knew what he was asking. I don't think this scribe realized what he was saying when he said, I will follow you. Because look at the next verse. Jesus, Jesus being omniscient, knowing exactly what the scribe is thinking, Jesus responds rightly in verse 20. And he says, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This verse teaches us, this phrase, this response of Jesus, what it teaches us is this, that Jesus in his earthly ministry was completely focused on the mission at hand. Okay? He he was laser focused. This this statement, he has no place to lay his head, it speaks of the op-tempo of his mission, meaning there was no time to rest, Jesus was always moving forward. For three years, Jesus traveled the land of Israel, healing the sick, performing miracles, and preaching the good news. And this mission was intense. You know, to to make this statement there in Jesus' physical presence, this is not like it is today, man. Jesus is like, where I'm going, there's no place to lay my head. I've got three years. I've got a mission. 
And it was go, go, go. This was intense. It was not for the faint-hearted. He was on a mission, and Jesus was not laying his head down until his mission was complete. You know what this tells me about the Lord Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry? That the Lord Jesus had grit. He had determination. He had focus. Grit, determination, and focus. That would describe Jesus' earthly ministry, okay? And we see that all the way to the end, all the way to the cross, all the way to the resurrection, that he was laser focused. And nothing, nobody, no forces of hell, no man was going to stop what Jesus was going to do. My question for you today is, do we, do you and I have that same grit and that same focus and that same determination in serving Christ? Is there anything in your life that's more important than Christ? Uh, if there is, repent. Repent. Thank you for whoever did that. That was perfect. Let's do that again. Oh, that was perfect. I, I love that, man. That's cool. Getting the juices flowing. But is there anything more important in your life than serving Christ? The, the reason things become more important in life than serving Christ is because we lose focus of who Jesus is. We lose focus of the gospel. We lose focus of our salvation we lose focus of the power of the cross and just the beautiful truth of Christianity, and it, it, it drops in our priority. And what, we just, what you need, friends, family, is just a fresh revelation of truth, of the beautiful love of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us understanding the amazing love and truth and grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that his death on the cross has saved you from the wrath of God. He has saved you from eternal damnation in hell. He's, he's given you his Holy Spirit. Man, he's just blessed you and he's just showered you. And I think when we have that perspective in life, when we have a Jesus perspective in life, we will live with the same grit, determination, and focus that Jesus has here. So let's pray for that. That's my prayer for you guys, is that, is that you fall in love with Jesus and the distractions of this world fade away and your heart and mind is focused. You've got grit. You've got determination. You're, you're, you're like that soldier. Come hell or high water, I'm serving Jesus. I'm going to witness to everybody I can, and I'm going to do as much as I can for Jesus till the day he calls me home. Amen? Amen? Let's roll. Verse 21. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, here's that phrase again in verse 22, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own, to bury their own dead. Now, Jesus is not saying here, you can't have a proper burial and pay respects to a parent who passes away. That's very honoring to our mother and father. That's obeying the fifth commandment. Remember the Ten Commandments? The fifth commandment says what? Honor your mother and father that all may go well in your life. Um, this phrase here, go and bury my father in the ancient world, it meant to be overly consumed with the estate and the inheritance of your parents. To the point it consumed you. So this statement, um, follow me, he says to him, to the disciple, go and bury the dead. This statement is, you could, you could put any kind of circumstance or any kind of situation in this thing that the disciple is going through. 
This statement is about getting our priorities straight. Getting our priorities straight. we got to get our priorities straight in this life. And the priority in this life is this. Christ is to be first. Okay? And, and if you struggle with that, if you wrestle with that, we need to go back to the previous point in my sermon, which is you just need a fresh revelation of truth. You need to go to Christ. You need to go to the Word. Understand the gospel. Understand eternity. Understand what's your purpose here on life. Understand Psalms 24.1, that it's all his, and he's trying to get our attention. Christ is to be first in our life. Yes, even above your spouse, even above your children, even above everyone, Christ is to be first in our life. Amen? So let, let's, let's do that, family. Let's place Christ first in our life. Now let's continue. Now, this is just where my studies blew up this week. It, it literally, it just blew up when I got to verse 23. Because as I was studying verses 23 through 27, I found this amazing passage in the Old Testament that mirrors, that mirrors the passage that we're fixing to study. I'm talking literally, and I'm going to show it to you on the screen in a minute. It's literally verse, verse by verse, Old Testament versus New Testament. You know, there's this, most scholars and theologians and pastors will tell you, and I agree, that the entire life of Jesus is found in the Old Testament, okay? The Old Testament is profitable. We are not to be unhinged from it, but we are to study it, cherish it, treasure it, and soak its deep truths in. But anyway, what we're fixing to study with Jesus calming the storm is given to us word for word in the Old Testament. I'm going to read it to you. And after I read this passage to you, then we're going to study the verses verse by verse. And I got it on the screen set up where we're going to have the the New Testament verse next to the Old Testament verse. And this is really cool. You want to talk about inspired by God? You want to talk about the scripture being infallible, inerrant, and perfect? I'm going to show you this amazing truth of these two passages written nearly a thousand years apart and how they're identical. But anyway, you, you can turn there if you like, but it's Psalm 107, verses 23 through 31. I'm actually, what I'm doing is I'm reading to you my commentary of my Dune Testament passage. This is really cool. But Psalm 107, verse 23 through 31, uh, follow along with me in your Bibles, says, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens, and they went down to the depths, their souls melted away in misery. Psalm 107, verse 27. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. In the final verse, verse 31, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and his wonders to the sons of men. When I read this, this passage this week, family, I was just blown away. I was blown away, and it just reinforced my belief in the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. That it is, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, inspired by God. Theonostos is breathed out. God gave us in the Old Testament an exact 
picture of what you and I are fixing to study here in the Gospel of Matthew. You see, the prophets and everything written in the Old Testament had one purpose. It was to point the nation of Israel to the future Messiah. And we today get to see all the fulfillments of the Old Testament in the New Testament. So now we're going to study the fulfillment in the New Testament of the Old Testament passage that I just read with you. And if I lost you, give me just a minute. I'll have it up on the screen. So let's turn back to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, and do this side-by-side comparison study of this fulfillment in Scripture. Verse 23 says, Matthew says, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. It says they're, they're, they're leaving Capernaum. They're heading out across the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you go back to Psalm 107, verse 23 through 24, this is the parallel passage in the Old Testament that describes what's taking place in the New Testament. And it says there, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and the wonders in the deep. What you need to understand there at Capernaum was the Sea of Galilee was their way of life. This was their life. This was how they made their money. This is how they um, provided food for their families. They lived off the sea. Uh, I read where Josephus said, on any given day, looking out across the Sea of Galilee, there would be literally hundreds upon hundreds of boats out there fishing. So they knew the Sea of Galilee well. And and so it says here, uh, they have seen the works of the Lord. You know, they had seen creation, and now they're fixing to see the big works of the Lord, which is the miracles and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the people there at Capernaum, including the disciples, they were familiar with the Sea of Galilee and everything that took place there. Look at verse 24. He says, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. So here in verse 24, a storm has come up. The boat is filling up with water. They're getting very nervous. And what is Jesus doing? He's getting some shut-eye down below. He's resting. He's, he's not worried about because he is the Lord. He is the Lord of creation. Listen to what Psalm 107, verse 25 through 26. And I believe that this gives us some insight to verse 24. Psalm 107, verse 25 and 26 says, For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Who do you think caused that storm? Jesus. Jesus, on the Sea of Galilee, caused that storm because he wanted to display his power to the disciples. He wanted to show them that he was more than just a man, but that he was eternal God. So he ra- he's the one that raised up the storm. And then notice it says, which lifted up the waves, and they rose up to the heavens, and they went down to the depths. That part of the verse is talking about the troughs. It's talking about the swells in the ocean. It's talking about how scary it was out there on the sea. November 1992, I reported to my first ship, the USS Concord, AFS-5. Five days after I got there, or excuse me, the day I got there, they said, hey, we're leaving in five days for a six-month deployment. I was like, oh, okay, great. 
So here's this young 20, 20, I think I was 20 years old, 19 or 20 year old sailor reported to my first ship. We start going across the Mediterranean Sea, I mean the Atlantic Ocean. And right before we got to the Straits of Gibraltar, we're there in the Atlantic Ocean, we went to do an unwrap, an under, that's called an underway replenishment with the USS America, an aircraft carrier. The seas got so rough that they had to cancel the underway replenishment. And the skipper came over to the MC and restricted all sailors and all, pers- all non-essential personnel to get in their bunks because the ship, the USS Concord, was taking 45-degree rolls. It, it was scary. Man, it was on that day. I will never forget that day. I realized how small I am and how big this world is, that we were taking 45-degree rolls. It was crazy. And everybody, half of the sailors on the ship were hollering for Europe. Okay, y'all got that one. So they were hollering for Europe. It was a scary day. I'll never forget. We pulled into Road to Spain. I was a young E2. I was hauling trash. I, they, we were hauling trash off the ship down the pier. And I was, I was walking like this. Because you know what those are called? Those are called sea legs. Those were called sea legs. And this was, this was six months before I got saved. That was when God was dealing with me on my first deployment. And I realized that day how big this world truly is and how little and small and tiny I am, okay? And then when I got saved and I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior and understand that God is the creator, man, we serve a big God and he rules and reigns over the oceans. I'm gonna quote to you a verse in a little bit from Psalms, how he rules the oceans. He rules the universe. He is a big God. And I believe that each of us, you, are in a fishbowl, and God is constantly trying to get your attention through people witnessing to you, through going to church and hearing the word, through people encouraging you, through people challenging you to serve the Lord. If you're not saved, people are witnessing to you. But God is a big God. But, the, but again, the point of this text and my illustration is look at the world around you. Look at the Grand Canyon Look at the oceans, look at the universe, you look at the galaxies, it all belongs to him. And he rules and he reigns and it's his plan. But you're the centerpiece. You're the centerpiece. It's all wrapped around you because he's trying to get your attention. I believe we are um, at verse 25. So the storms have come up, things are going crazy. God has brought the storm upon to get their attention. And look at verse 25. And they came to him, and they came to him, talking about Jesus, and they woke him. And they said, save us, Lord, we are perishing. The disciples are scared. There's no doubt in my mind, because of their, um, their careers and their jobs at Capernaum, that these are skilled fishermen. No doubt they did everything possible to save themselves. But listen to the very next, we're, we're literally going word by word through Psalms 107.2. But look, the, the, the parallel passage of Matthew 8.25 is Psalm 107, halfway through verse 26 into 28, where it says, Their soul melted away in misery. They were scared. And if you've ever been out in the big oceans and seen this crazy, 
it would scare you too. If not, go on YouTube and watch some of those videos of those ships in the North Atlantic. Oh, man. I have no desire to ever go there again. It is a scary place. But these disciples, they're scared. Verse 27, they reeled and staggered like a drunken man, like I was on that pier, they, like a drunken man in their, at their wit's end. In other words, they, were, they lost it. They had, their, they had their sea legs. It was crazy. And then verse 28, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. Can you say, inspired by God, this passage written long before the Gospel of Matthew, giving us exact details of this event on the Sea of Galilee, this is really cool stuff. If you like Bible and theology and apologetics, this is evidence of the inspiration of Scripture. These men, they were exhausted and they were doomed. They had nowhere else to turn except one place. Think about this now. Jesus takes them out into the sea. There's nowhere else to go. They can't go run to mama. They can't go run to daddy. They can't go run to their local synagogue. Oh, but by the way, there's this Jesus down in the ship. So he, he gives them only one place to turn, and that is to Christ. Sometimes the Lord has to bring us to a place of absolute desperation in order to get our attention. That is exactly what he's doing here with the disciples. They are terrified, and they are fearing for their life. Let's look at their prayer. Their prayer is so-so kyrios apollomia, which is save us, Lord. We are perishing. You know, this is a prayer that needs to be said today by the lost. This is a prayer, hopefully, that you said when you came to Christ. But that, that phrase, save us, Lord, we are perishing. That first word, save, means sozo. The Greek word is sozo. It means to rescue from danger or destruction. What we need to understand is this world is on a path to destruction. This world on a path apart from Christ is on a road to eternal damnation. Okay? That's the destructive path they are heading. But Christ, through the Gospels, offers to save, the, save this world from danger and destruction. He was offering to save the disciples here on the Sea of Galilee from the dangers and the destructions of the, of the sea and, and perishing in the ocean. But he also does that for the world today. He, 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 he came to save. He came to seek and save that was lost. Then the word Lord, kyrios, it means master, sovereign, one in control. Do we understand what the phrase Jesus is Lord means? That, that word Lord, uh, kyrios, it means the sovereign master, okay? He's the one that rules and reigns. He's not just our savior, that word savior meaning he's not just the one who saves us from our sin, but he's also Lord, meaning when you, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Romans 10, 9, you're saying that Jesus is the sovereign Lord and master over your life. That's what it means to confess Jesus is Lord. Is that he is the sovereign Lord. Save us, Lord. We are perishing. Apollomia, that word, uh, it means uh, ruined, uh, headed for destruction. So God saves this, us from going down a path of destruction through his salvation. So that's their prayer. Save us, Lord. We are perishing. A very simple prayer. 
Not a, not a lot of thought put into that prayer. Deeply rich theologically, but yet simple. So simple that that's the sinner's prayer, is Lord Jesus, please save me. Please rescue me. Please come into my life. That's the prayer. You know, see, God, words are important. Don't misunderstand me. But God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And he's looking at the heart that desires and that wants to turn away from sin. Okay? That's, that's the contrite heart that God is looking for. A heart that you can't see my heart, I can't see your heart. But a heart inside of you that says, man, I am done with sin. I am done with rebellion. I am done with living my own way. And I want to live right and serve you, Lord, from a clean heart. That is the heart that God is looking for. That, that we run from the things of this world. We run from sin. We run from, from darkness. That should be our prayer. Verse 26. Verse 26 says, And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. Wow. That would have been awesome to witness that. Can you imagine being there on the Sea of Galilee? Seas are going all crazy, and you're scared for your life. And, and, uh, what, there's the a, a, a Alaskan crab show that we all see on TV where they're risking the crabs. And you see some of those seas, you're like, man, that's crazy. I would be scared. That's what it was like for the disciples. They were scared. And then all of a sudden, flat seas. He calmed the storm. Psalm 107, verse 29, the very next verse in Psalm 107 says this. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Jesus spoke and creation obeyed. Jesus spoke and, and, and creation obeyed. You know, he says there in verse 26, he says to the men on the ship, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? You know, I believe the reason many people do not have great faith is because they don't study their Bible and they don't spend time with Christ in prayer. I believe that you and I today, if we dare take Jesus at his word and believe everything that is written about him, I believe your faith will explode. We saw last week's chapter. We saw it in Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus talks about little faith and great faith. So there is a difference in faith. There are different levels of faith. But I believe that the more you spend time in the word, the more you spend time with Christ, your faith will greatly increase. He will move supernaturally in your life. God is not dead. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's ruling and reigning on his throne. And the point of this passage that I'm teaching this morning is this. Jesus is Lord of creation. Jesus is Lord of creation. That's what you need to understand, that it all belongs to him. Jesus created the Sea of Galilee. Jesus created the Atlantic Ocean. He created everything you see on planet Earth. Listen to Paul in Colossians. Paul says in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
all things have been created through him and for him. He owns every molecular dust particle on planet Mars, okay? Every single star shooting across the universe, it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every cell, everything in your DNA strand inside your body, it all belongs to our sovereign Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. All creation obeys Jesus because he is Lord of creation. The planets move and orbit just as he directs them. The stars shoot across the universe at night at his command. The oceans flow in the direction he tells them. The only thing in creation that does not obey him is guess who? Man. Man thinks that he is smarter and wiser than God. We think we control our own destiny, but we are foolish to even think that. Our thinking is futile because it is corrupted by sin, and we're lost. And what we, there's only one statement, there's only one statement that can change that course of thinking in that futile way, and it's this prayer that the uh, disciples said to Jesus in the boat, save me, Lord, I am perishing. Open the eyes of my heart. You know that song, that famous worship song we all like to sing? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That needs to be our prayer. Lord, open our eyes so we can see spiritual truth in this life. And when we do that, everything will come together. Everything will come together in our faith. You know, save me, Lord. I am perishing. For the person who doesn't know Christ, and they make this statement, save, save me, Lord, I'm perishing, they are understanding that at that moment, they are under God's judgment, and they are under God's wrath. But then, they call upon the name of Jesus. They confess and forsake their sin, and he will save them. And then, after he saves them, he will calm the storm in their life. Jesus came to bring us peace. Not only peace in our hearts, tranquility of heart, tranquility of mind, but peace with God. But peace with God. Because God is holy, man is not. And Jesus made a way for you and I to become holy. So he is Lord of creation. Let's finish it up here. Verse 27. It says, the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this? That even the winds and the seas obey him. Man, they are blown away. Imagine you're there on the ocean. And the seas are rough and the white, ray, white, the white uh, stuff off the waves has come crashing in and you're all scared. All of a sudden, it just becomes calm. They were in awe. Creation and nature obey the Lord Jesus Christ. The answer to their question, what kind of man is this, is the title of my message. He is Lord of creation. Now, look at the next in Psalm 107, verse 30, which parallels this verse. It says, this is cool, Psalms 107, 30 says, that, then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Nothing quiets a soul more than realizing that God is in control. And that God, not only when we, we get shaken in life, none, 
not only um, knowing that God is sovereign and God's control, not only does that quiet our life, but then when you know that God is in the boat with you, God is in your life, friends and family. Friends and family, if you're trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior and God is with you, who can be against you? What in this life, come on, what in this life can you not face when God is on your side? You're going to experience tribulation. You're going to experience trials. Things aren't going to always go your way just because you're a Christian. You're going to experience difficulties. But with God in your life, with God in your boat, a little analogy there, uh, there's nothing you can't face. There's nothing you can't overcome because Christ is with you. Christ is with you. And then the second half of the verse, Psalm 107, second half of that, the Old Testament passage, it says, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness for, and for his wonders to the sons of men. You know, I imagine they were just gushing there on the ocean. They were just like, thank you, Jesus. And they understood his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. That phrase, and for his wonders to the sons of men, in other words, you know, signs, wonders, the way he's manifesting himself in the physical world to reveal himself to them. It's like they're being blown away. So I ask you this morning, how is God trying to get your attention today? Think about that. What is happening in your life today where God is trying to grab your attention? God is not silent. God is very loud. He is, he, his, his voice is thundering across the universe. It's thundering in creation. It's thundering from the word of God. How is he trying to get your attention? Look at your circumstances. Look at your circumstances in life. You know, maybe something's taking place in your life right now and you don't know why it's happening. What is God teaching you through that circumstance? You know, maybe you didn't get a job promotion. Maybe something's not going the way you want it to. Ask yourselves, you know, instead of being depressed and upset because things didn't go the way you wanted to, because God is sovereign, God is in control, you need to ask yourself, what is the Lord teaching me in this situation of my life? Okay? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. God grabs our attention through creation because Jesus is Lord of creation. And creation takes us, the general revelation of God, creation takes us to the special revelation of God found in Scripture. I want to close with two verses from the Old Testament Psalm, which I mentioned one earlier. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who live in it. Friends, we live in a world right now. We live on a planet right now that is at war with God. From abortion to same-sex marriage to, to all the rebellion we see going on in the world. And just their, their rebe- it's, 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 it's almost today as if it's written in the Bible, the world rejects it. It's like there's this war. But what we need to understand is that this is God's world. Psalms 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It is his world. And don't lose heart that it is his world that we're, that we're dwelling in. And he is using the world, I believe, to get people's attention, to get people to turn from their sin, 
to get people to trust in Christ. I believe that with all my heart. And then Psalm 148, verse 7 and 8 says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you, you sea monsters, and all the ocean depths, fire and hail and snow and clouds and stormy winds. What do they do? What does that verse say? What do, what do the sea creatures, the ocean depths, fire and hail, snow, clouds, and stormy winds do? What do they do? They fulfill his word. So let your heart rest in the truth and the sovereignty of God. And ask, you know, the Lord to show you, God, how are you working in my life today? How are you working to point me to the truth? Because he's very loud. He speaks through creation because Jesus is Lord of creation. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this study in the gospel of Matthew. Lord, I pray, God, that you um, dis. Work on each and every heart here today. Lord, let us see how you're at work in our life, how you're at work in our church, and help us, Lord, to join you in that endeavor. Help us to be a part and submit and surrender to your will and to your work in our life. And then, Father, help us to come to the cross completely in complete surrender in love and obedience to you and reveal yourself to us in a mighty way through the word of God and through the world around us. For we love you and praise you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray.